The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. But if you have your Bible tonight, we are continuing in a series called Heart Cries, looking through selected psalms that teach us how to sing, that teach us to worship, that teach us to pray, to teach us how to process our emotions and to connect with God. And oh, how we need to pray and worship and sing at this time. We don't want to waste this time. We want to redeem the time. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to Psalm 126. 126, it's a beautiful psalm. It's a powerful psalm. It's a peaceful psalm. Um, And it's a short psalm. So We'll see, Lord willing, maybe I'll be a little bit shorter tonight. Don't get too excited, but I might be a little bit shorter tonight. Psalm 126, read with me in verse 1. A song of ascents. When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, some of your translations say brought back the captives to Zion, we were like those who dream that our mouth was filled with laughter and our tongue with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Verse 4, restore our fortunes, O Lord, like streams in the Negev. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. He who goes out weeping, bearing the seed for sowing, listen, shall come home with shouts of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. Father, we just thank you so much again. We have prayed and sung, and once again, we pray. And we invite your spirit to speak to us now. Holy Spirit, you are the one who leads and guides us into the truth. And so, Lord, lead and guide us into the truth, not right up to it, but right into it. May we be immersed in your truth. May your truth have a way of working its way into our minds, into our hearts, and ultimately changing our wills. We open ourselves up to you right now, that we would be taught, we would be instructed, that we would be changed, that we would have an experience of your power and of your presence. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This past week, I was just kind of thinking over the last, what, 30-some days of this whole thing and kind of just kind of trying to recount all of the emotions that I have experienced, you know, and, and they have been vast. They have been many. Uh, they have gone to the left. They've gone to the right. And I was reminded of something I heard long ago, and most of us are familiar with this. It's called the stages of grief. Um, and I kind of go, what were those stages of grief? Because I think I've probably passed through all of them several times over. And um, here's a diagram. It's pretty familiar. These are, you know, I don't know who agreed on these, but the stages of grief, denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and finally acceptance. And I looked at that. I was like, yep, I can check the box on all of those things. Uh, And then I saw another diagram and I couldn't help but laugh because this was another detailed stages of grief. I think my experience is the other one. You know, it's not this nice little linear one step to the next step. It's like, bing, 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 bing. And you experience some things twice and three times you think you've moved past. Listen, I don't know about you, but I've experienced so many. And we're studying the Psalms because the Psalms describe for us all of these stages of grief. They may not lay it out like that, but every one of these types of emotions we find for us recorded, prayed out, sung out through the book of Psalms. And I love it because God knows who we are. And the book of Psalms, like anywhere, more than anywhere else, shows us what it means to be human 
what it means to be human living in a world that we weren't designed to live in. And what do I mean by that? We are living in a fallen world. We weren't designed to experience all that we are currently experiencing. There's, there's things that are coming at us that in our original design, we weren't meant to experience death, disease, decay, loneliness, isolation, all of these things that we're constantly or currently walking through. That's not our original design. And so our bodies are like revolting against it. Our souls are like, how do we deal with this? And yet God walks alongside us. He gives us ways to process that. And more than simply just processing, the book of Psalms tells us and shows us a way to heal those things, to to bring fruit, to move forward in light of and in spite of these things. And the book of Psalms really shows us, I would say, a third option, a third option when it comes to dealing with our emotions. Miles McPherson wrote a book called Third Option, so maybe I'm stealing the title of his book. I don't know, but the third option, you see, the world gives us two options a lot of times. And when it comes to our emotions, there's two options. There's what I'll call the secular way of dealing with our our grief and our emotions. And the secular response might simply be this, and I'll summarize, just feel what you feel. Just vent. Just kind of let it all out. If you're going to cry, cry. If you're going to shout, shout. And, and somehow just simply expressing your emotions and letting your emotions take you wherever they're going to take you, that will somehow bring healing. That's, that's one way. I found that that just kind of gets me tired and exhausted and oftentimes more depressed. Now, there's this other option that's the religious option. And the religious option, sadly, you would think would be healthy. But no, the religious option op- oftentimes has stuffed those emotions don't feel those emotions. No, a person of faith wouldn't experience those types of things. They are somehow ungodly, unholy. They aren't honoring to God. No, 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 that's not what the Bible shows us. And so the third option the Psalms tells us, it's the option of grace. It's the option of real relationship. It shows us that, yes, we should express and vent. No, we should not stuff. But what do we do? We learn to pray, to pray our emotions, to to tap into them, to feel them, but not just feel them and let, it, let them rip, <laughs> but no, to, to feel them and to express them and then bring them before God. And when you read the book of Psalms, and they are the favorites of so many of us, every commentator tries to categorize the Psalms, and it's a good thing to do. And every one that I looked at, when they put the Psalms into different categories, by and large, all these different emotions, all of them agreed, the largest category of Psalms or what they would call, we would call lamentations. Psalms of lament, psalms of sorrow, psalms of weeping, psalms of seeking God and saying, God, what are you doing? This seems wrong. How long, O oh Lord? These psalms of lament, by and large, are the largest category. Now, most of the psalms don't end there, but they certainly describe that emotion. And the psalm that we have tonight is no different. In fact, it shows us the extremes. And I kind of love it just for that reason. It's a very short, simple psalm, but it shows us the extremes on the one hand of of tears and on the other hand, laughing. On the one hand of of great sorrow of heart, a heaviness of heart, and yet on the other hand, shouts of joy. It's these two different extremes that are presented to us. And what they show us, what I want to say to us, church tonight, what God would say is that there's something we can do with our tears during, during this time. And not just this time, but really any time. Because to live as a human means at times we will pass through seasons of grief, lamentations, times when we will weep, and we can waste those tears or we can redeem those tears. 
Psalm 126 tells us what to do with those tears, that they're very powerful, they are potent, that they can actually produce something so much greater if we'll learn to do what God's word tells us to do with those tears. So like I said, a simple message. And the first point I want to look at is this tonight, is that number one, we see we should expect tears. Might seem like an obvious point, but again, dealing with that religious you know, uh, response oftentimes, as believers, as men and women, boys and girls, those who genuinely love God, who are saved by God, who, who have a, an eternal hope, who have an uh, eternal life deposited in our hearts. Listen, we should still, in this life, until the Lord comes, expect tears. Psalm 126 tells us a little bit of the background. It tells us it's a psalm of ascent, meaning it was one of those psalms that was selected by God to be sung by the crowds as they made their way up to Jerusalem. As they came to the temple area to worship God, as they gathered together, this was one of those songs that they corporately, communally would sing, and they were remembering history, and they were also petitioning God. Now, the background for this, we're not really sure. Uh, it says here in the ESV to restore our fortunes. Most of the translations say it's dealing with the captives brought back from Zion. And some of the commentators are divided as to what they're talking about. Was this the, the captives from you know, Ezra and Nehemiah's day coming back to Jerusalem after the exile in Babylon? Or was this during the time of David when he was chased out of Jerusalem along with the royal court and some of the family when they were in exile and they were eventually brought back? There were other times when exiles were brought back and there's this division. And then I would say, though it's important and I love to find the context and the history, I'd almost say it's not that important, at least here and at least now. And the reason being is just the very fact that I gave you two examples and I could give you more leads us to the point the first point I want to make that the psalmist is telling us is that in the Christian life, we should expect both. That there are going to be times of great joy. Verses one through three begin, they begin high. Like they begin just like, wow, look at what God has done. And yet they don't end there. It ends with in a present situation that they were passing through for God, God do it again. God, once again, deliver us. It says, and I love just the language. It's so poetic. We were like men who dreamed. They couldn't believe that God did something so much greater than they could have ever asked or imagined. We were like men who dreamed when God, when you brought us back. We, we never thought we'd see Jerusalem again. We thought we'd be bound forever, God. And you did something so much greater. And it says there was literally laughter that was just emanating from them. Crowds that were just shouting joy. So much so, it says here, that even the nations looked on and said, wow, God must be with them. There was such a deliverance when God brought his people back that even the nations looked on and said, wow, there must be a God. Their God is the true God. They looked on and, and acknowledged the great miracle. But as great of a deliverance was that they experienced, it did not, to use words that we're talking about right now, it did not inoculate them. It did not give them a vaccination, a vaccine from experiencing pain in the future. Because the rest of the Psalms go on to describe God, do it again. And we don't know the circumstances, but it, really, that's life. And, and the point I'm trying to make is this is no matter how great a miracle God has done in your life, and I pray he's done, done great ones, there's more to come. But it doesn't mean you won't experience more pain this side of heaven until God's kingdom fully comes. This psalm is a, it's a tiny psalm, but it's a, it's a perfect little roadmap. 
It's a description, but also a prescription of what to do with our emotions. It describes, you know, the extremes, but also prescribes what to do. And I'm going to say it now, and I'm going to say it a couple of times. Though there's sorrow, joy has the final word. I'm going to keep just kind of hitting that, that note. Joy in this psalm and all the psalms, joy has the final word. God always has the final word. What I want to say to you, Christian, is to, to be a follower of Jesus, to, to be somebody who is filled with the spirit of God, the presence of God, being led by God, does not mean that you will feel less. It actually means you will feel more. When you open up your heart to Jesus, the Bible says God has given you a new heart. He's taken out your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. What that means is that you and I, we have a capacity to feel like we never felt before. It means we have a capacity to really feel joy. But that also means we have a, the capacity to really feel sorrow, to, to really feel pain. Listen, we're not Buddhists. It's not all about balance. It's not about emptying ourselves from the things that conflict us and pull on us. No, we, we're supposed to feel. Right now, you're supposed to feel and to feel deeply. If you're not feeling, that means you're checked out watching Netflix and I don't know what you're doing. You should be feeling. You should be feeling greatly right now. God feels greatly right now. The God that we serve is a God of wisdom. He's a God of knowledge, but he's a God, the word describes and reveals to us, is a God who feels. The Jesus whom we serve, he had the perfect heart. You and I are, are followers of Jesus. We are being conformed into his image. We are dedicating ourselves to, to follow his way, to not only to have his life, but the lifestyle of Jesus. That means we're to have the heart of Jesus. And the heart of Jesus is a heart that, that wept. And it was a heart that had great joy. There were often times when Jesus saw people in circumstances where it says he, he was weeping. You know the story. It's the first verse that all of us memorized. Jesus wept. And I got a dollar from my grandma at that. Years ago, it was the first verse. Jesus wept. Why did he weep? He was at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. He was about to raise him from the dead in just a few moments. But I believe he wept because he was sympathizing with us. He wept because he knew, like we know, it's not supposed to be this way. And every time we experience loss, every time we experience death, every time we experience things like this, it, our bodies instinctually know it's not supposed to be this way. And so Jesus wept to, 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 to show us, to teach us, to model for us. But we also know he laughed. He, he laughed greatly. He was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief, but the Bible also says he was anointed with the oil of joy more than all his companions. Little kids were drawn to him because he laughed, because there was joy. When you read the, the Sermon on the Mount, he was funny. When he talks about a, you know, pointing out a speck in the other guy's eye, we have a plank in your own eye, the crowds would have laughed. That's funny. There was great joy. Jesus had both. And so if we're to follow him, if our hearts are being shaped into his heart, certainly then our hearts are not going to shrink or feel less. They're going to feel more. They're going to feel greater. That's why Paul writes this. He says this in 1 Thessalonians. And it's a scripture that I use oftentimes in memorial services. Paul writes, but I do not want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to be clueless. I want you to understand something. Brothers, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. He doesn't say we're not supposed to sorrow, but we don't sorrow like the world. 
We don't grieve like the world. Uh, the world grieves without hope. They, they grieve oftentimes in self-pity. They just kind of feel sorry for themselves and the pain they're experiencing. No, there's, there's a sorrow that we experience that is full of hope. And in some ways, it, it's, as hopeless as you know, the world can sorrow, we think that might be the deepest way to feel it. No, as believers, there's a, there's a sense that we can enter in and because we know the end and what it's, the good things that are going to come, we can actually enter into the pain and feel and say, no, it's not supposed to be this way. And we look at the world right now that, that is kind of turned upside down and all these things and even the fighting, we know our hearts should break. It's not supposed to be this way. This is not how God intended for us to live. He did not intend for us to live in isolation. He did not intend for us to live with a virus. All these things are results of sin and the curse. Now, we also know what is to come. And I love the fact that Jesus began his public ministry and he had both, but what he chose to do, I said the, the final note is, is joy, but the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed, it wasn't raising somebody from the dead. It wasn't healing a fever. It wasn't giving sight to the blind. Oh, he would do all those things. You, you know, what was the very first miracle? Some people think well, that, that's kind of a weird thing to do first, right? There's a few hands in the audience here. They know the answer to that. You'll get some stickers later. The very first miracle was at a wedding and it was a, a peculiar miracle, but it was this miracle where he decides, now I will make myself known. This will be where I plant my flag. This will be the mark of who I am and what I come to do. And he turns water into wine. His first miracle is to let the party continue. And his declaration, and I believe it says so much, but he says, I come to bring festival joy. And ultimately, it's a picture of what the Bible says one day, that we will have this incredible marriage, the marriage between, between the Lord and his bride, the church. The, the final note is joy. He began in joy. But along the way, there were definitely times of weeping. Lazarus, when Jesus entered into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, the crowd cheered while there were tears in his eyes. Salvation makes you have more of a heart, not less of a heart. And to really walk with God, eventually your heart starts to break with the things that break his. Your heart melts. As hard as it is, it should eventually melt. It should eventually feel. And I want to say to some of you right now, you haven't even allowed yourself to feel. You've distracted yourself from feeling. If you're a believer, you should feel. You should feel greatly right now. Now, that's not all you should do, but you should certainly do that. There are things that we are grieving. There are real things that we are losing. Certainly there are, sadly, are those that we're hearing and reading about. Maybe some of you who know that have actually lost their life. Some of you have lost your health currently. You've lost your job. I know people personally in my immediate family who have been laid off and have lost their job and they're wondering when this thing's going to change and when they can start making money again and providing for their family. People really close to me. And just like you, I'm sure. We've lost the ability just to give a handshake and a hug, to make personal connection. We've lost the ability right now to gather physically and corporately in the same room. We've lost, for some of you, graduation ceremonies. You've lost, for some of you, high school students and others, your spring sports. And for some of you seniors, this was it. And we don't know what the fall is going to look like. For some of you, wedding, wedding plans have been canceled. And I'm, sadly, I've heard of stories where memorial services have had to been uh, to be postponed and on and on I could go. The fact is there are very real things that we should grieve. And what I want to say to you right now, not only is it okay, but it's necessary for us to feel the feels. <laughs> there is a time and a purpose for everything under heaven. There's a time to laugh and a time to grieve. 
uh, you know, a time for joy and a time for mourning. And right now, there's a mix of both. We have some levity. There is some humor. There are jokes in the midst of all this. Like, what decade is this? But there should certainly be times where we feel the feels. And, and, And let me just speak for a moment, if I can, particularly, and not only, but maybe particularly some of you guys out there, and I'm speaking to myself. Because one of the ways that you know that the Lord has really come in is that eventually you come to a place where you're able to weep. And I'll be honest, as a believer, there were times, there were years where I knew like there was parts of my heart that weren't working like they should. There was parts of my heart where I knew there were times I should be weeping and I'm not, and that's something that's not okay. Because listen, the world conditions us, don't weep, don't cry, you're a man, stuff it down. Move on, be a stoic, you know, tough it out, John Wayne it, whatever. And there were things in my own life, my own background that probably caused me to put guards up in my heart. And so there were times, literally, I'd be in a situation where I knew, I mean, I should be crying and I'm not. And I knew this is weird. I should be crying. And I had to ask the Lord and I continue, I continue to ask the Lord, God, heal my heart, break my heart with the things that break yours. And one of the marks I would say to everybody, but even particularly to some of you men out there is that when's the last time you wept? When's the last time you cried? When's the last time you allowed yourself with the Lord to really feel what he feels? And maybe it's time for you to start asking God to do that. I can think of times even even not that long ago where a friend of mine who I trust was praying and and just prophesying and he said, Sean, feel! And I started laughing and my wife did too because she knows. And maybe for some of you, I could say prophetically, feel! And I'm laughing, but that's what the Lord say. I want you to feel not just feel whatever, but feel like God feels, that we would feel his heart, that our hearts would break with the things that break his so that we can respond like he wants us to respond. So the first thing we should expect, number two, is we need to plant, we must plant our tears. So it's not simply enough just to feel the feels, you know? That's kind of, hey, you can feel whatever you want. No, there's something that we need to learn to do. And what does it say here? Verse four, restore our fortunes, O Lord. God, do it again. Like streams in the Negev. And he says, those who sow in tears, to sow is a, is a metaphor that we're familiar with, sowing and reaping. A farmer takes the seed, he plants it in the ground. And in faith, with expectation, that, that seed goes in and it will produce something. And when we sow in tears, when we plant our tears, the promise is that we will reap with shouts of joy. Verses one through three, the psalmist is remembering when, when God had delivered his people. They were like men who dreamed and it gave them a motivation to say, God, do it again. And verses four through six give us a two part, a two option, a two different experience, uh, experiences that we can ask for and expect. Number one, in this prayer that God would deliver again, he describes a situation about streams flowing through the Negev. Now, the Negev, if you ever look at a map of Israel, that southern part, that kind of triangular, almost peninsula-type part, at least on the map, it's one of the driest, most desolate parts of Israel. It doesn't rain very much, but every so often there, like our own Anza Borrego Desert, if you're ever out there, you can see, you'll walk through a wash, and it seems like maybe it's been years. You kind of wonder, when's the last time water ever passed through these areas? And yet, if you look at an aerial shot, you fly a drone, you'll look down and you'll see, wow, there's like, you can tell water passes through from time to time. And what the psalmist is praying, like, like what will happen sometimes in the desert, like some of you know, it may not even be raining in the desert. You may not even hear a sound, but suddenly out of nowhere, you'll hear a rumble. 
And there might be a, a storm cloud way off in the mountains in the distance and a large amount of rain gets deposited there and it comes making its way down through the foothills and all of a sudden the desert, it looks sunny, it looks normal. And suddenly, unexpectedly, there's this rush of water. There's, there's life that, that invigorates the desert. The animals spring forth, you know, wild flowers. Every so often we hear about our local deserts. There was an unusual winter and we make our way out to see the desert bloom. The psalmist is praying, God, make the Negev bloom, send a stream. And listen, there are times times of renewal, times of revival, when it seems like out of nowhere, you're just in the hot desert and suddenly God shows up. Communally, these times historically in revival where God just shows up and it's like, whoa. Personally, there's times in in our lives and for some of you right now, you're experiencing those times when God is just showing up. I'm hearing some of those stories. I've literally talked to a few, a few of you. You've lost your job, you're, you're hunkered down, and you're like, I've never been so close to God in my life. It's like this stream out of nowhere in the desert has just flooded your heart. That's the first option. And listen, let's pray and let's believe that suddenly out of nowhere, whoo, you know, like, a, like a, a river in the Negev, like a river in Anzabarago, all of a sudden out of nowhere, just a flood will come unexpectedly. But the second option is something that we can do right now. The second option is something that we must play a part in, is that we are to take these tears and like a farmer in faith, we plant them. We don't just wipe them away. We don't stuff them. We don't just let them fly wherever. But by faith right now, because of what God's word says, we realize these tears, the the grief, the emotions that we experience, there is something powerful. They, They are like a seed, the Bible says. The seed that we can take and we can plant. And it's not simply that those tears will give way to joy. Oh, that can happen. And that does happen. It says, you know, sorrow may last for the night. In fact, I have a verse. I think it's on in, in, coming up here. Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes with the morning. And the Bible tells that over and over that our tears give way to joy. But more than simply giving way, what we're told here is that our tears actually have the power to produce the joy that we need. The weeping actually has the power when we bring it to the Lord to produce something so powerful. The very tears themselves, what we are told here, are are going to be the things that God looks at, that God uses, that God says, okay, I can use that and I'll do something so much greater than you can ever imagine. So that's why we don't stuff it, we don't vent it, we plant it. You can't get a harvest without seed right? A farmer doesn't just walk out to his field without ever putting a seed in the ground and expect anything to be there. No, he says, by faith, if I want something to grow, I've got a plan. Some of you guys and gals, you're in investment. You know, if you want your portfolio to grow or the, the, the portfolio of those you manage, you have to take that money and you invest it. Guys, right now we need to plant. We should invest our emotions, even our tears, and say, God, I know by faith, you'll, you'll take these. Somehow, I don't know, but by faith, I'm going to believe that you'll take these. Whether it's personal right now in your marriage, whether it's this whole situation, whether it's, it's a year from now or two years from now, you take that. Maybe it's a parent I'm speaking to right now, and, it, and it's tears over a prodigal son or daughter. Pray those tears. Don't simply wipe them away, but pray them. Plant those tears. And God says, joy will come. 
Weeping may last through the night, but joy comes in the morning. The very tears themselves somehow, someway are producing the joy that we need. The kind of joy we need is linked to those tears. Another verse that reinforces this is in 2 Corinthians 4, 17. It says this, for our light and momentary troubles or afflictions are achieving, or another translation says, are producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Guys, the things that we are enduring right now, they're very real. They, they are afflictions, but they're momentary. But these very afflictions are not just disconnected from what's eventually going to come. God says these very things are achieving. These very things are producing. They are actually producing the things that will be in your life for all of eternity. And the psalmist realized in those white hot tears that he prayed as the, the, as the corporation, you know, as, as the uh, congregation prayed on their way to the temple, they took those tears and they sowed them before the Lord, believing that God would take those tears and do something powerful. What I want to say to you tonight, church, is don't waste those tears. Certainly you should have tears. <laughs> Certainly you should feel the feels. But take those feels, take those tears, and then learn to plant those tears. And finally, how do we do that? I've already said it several times. We plant them as we pray them. How do we plant our tears? We pray our tears. That's what the psalmist is doing. He's praying. He's singing. He's passing this, this uh, a strategy on to, to us. He passed it on, so they sang it on their way to Jerusalem. Millennium later, we are, millennium later, we are singing, we are praying this. And through this prayer, as we pray our tears to the Lord, transformation takes place. Our tears themselves are transformed into something powerful. But not only the tears, but the weeper, the weeper he or she is also transformed. Guys, I want to say during this time, man, you should be studying your Bible. Theological study is important, but nothing can ever replace your prayer life of actually praying and talking to God, of pouring out your heart, your, your prayers, your desires to the Lord, planting your tears in prayer. I think of Hannah in the Old Testament. You remember the story of Hannah? Hannah came and, and she was barren. And she comes into the, 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 the tabernacle and she's praying and she's interceding and she's wailing and she's weeping. And the high priest Eli looks on and he thinks she's drunk. I think sometimes our prayers are, are much too sanitary. Oh, Jesus. I mean, here's the kind of woman who's like just pouring her heart out to the Lord. And the religious guy doesn't even understand, which kind of tells you something about him. He's like, what's the matter? And he thinks she's drunk and he's trying to escort her out. And finally he realizes, oh no, she's in travail. She's interceding. She's weeping, but she's not just weeping. She's planting her tears in prayer to the Lord. And you and I know the story. What happens? Those tears get planted. God hears that prayer and he answers that prayer. And eventually she reaps a harvest of joy. And the answer comes in the form of a miraculous birth, a son by the name of Samuel. Samuel, one of the great prophets of Israel who would anoint Saul and eventually King David. Guys, tonight, know this. We pray to a God who hears, a God who knows. We pray to the God who is called the wonderful counselor, who listens. A good counselor is able to listen. He's also able to dissect and to get to the root of the problem. 
We pray tonight to a God who knows what you're feeling, who knows deep down the things that maybe you don't even know. He knows they're there and he's waiting for you to express them. And you're thinking, can I say these things? Yes, you can. Yes, you must. The Psalms describe for us. Sometimes I read the Psalms and I'm thinking, dude, how did you say that? Like, I'm almost embarrassed sometimes for the psalmist. Like, I cannot believe you actually prayed that to God. And when I, when I think that, I realize I forget who I'm praying to, to the God who sees and knows, and more than that, the God who cares. Right now, we, we, should, be, we, we should be praying to a God who is full of grace and compassion, to the wonderful counselor. We pray through our intercessor, the mediator, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who knows what it means to pray with tears, who, who there in Gethsemane said this, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. Jesus, who knows what it means to pray through tears, can certainly hear our cries and sympathize and who knows what to do as he mediates and intercedes for us on our behalf. Listen, the Jesus who prayed, and we looked at this, this last week and it was so powerful. And if you didn't hear this last weekend's message, man, after this message, listen to it. But there in Gethsemane, as Jesus prayed, and it was about getting the Father's will done, he, he cried, there were tears, and those tears were planted in prayer. There in Gethsemane, as the olive crush was pressing them, there were tears that were planted that produced joy that is still coming up, the joy of you and me being saved, the joy of our forgiveness, the joy of our adoption, the joy of our ability to be welcomed into his family. Where did that joy come from? It came partially from the tears that were planted from Jesus willingly submitting himself and ultimately going to the cross. Listen, when you pray with that picture of Jesus praying, you're going to pray with patience. You're going to pray with hope. You're going to pray that God did not abandon him. It seemed like he's not going to abandon me. You'll pray with patience because look at, think with me. When we think about the cross, we think about Jesus and the kind of prayer, prayers that he offered and even with tears and weeping. When people looked at the cross, they thought, surely God has abandoned. God has forsaken. There were many that looked on and said, I can never believe in a God who would do this, who would allow this. God must not be up to anything. God has abandoned all of us. And there's a lot of people in their tears feel the same way but we know that there were those who held on. Eventually those who, you know, on the other side of the cross and the resurrection realized, God, you knew what you're doing the whole time. God, you were working something in the middle of the pain that has produced the greatest joy for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross and despised the shame. That's why I say you pray in patience. The farmer has to sow, but there's patience in faith that eventually something will come up. Guys, don't quit sowing those tears in prayer with patience, believing that God has heard and he is hearing and he will answer. Listen, I want to end this way full of hope again. There's sorrow. But listen, sorrow is temporary. Joy is permanent. Joy is the final word. Joy is the final word in this psalm. The final word is you'll, you sow in tears and you will reap in joy. It may come like a flood suddenly. It may come after a season of planting, but the promise is, it doesn't say, well, if you sow, you might have joy. Possibly there'll be joy. No, it says, those who sow shall, those who sow will. That's emphatic. That is certain. You will reap in joy.
I was reading one commentator, and he pointed this out, and I loved it. I met you at the beginning, and I'll get ready to close with this. The majority of the Psalms deal with lamentations. But when you come to the end of 150 chapters, chapters on prayer, on petition of songs, the last five, one commentator pointed out, I loved it, Psalms 146, 47, 48, 49, and 150. You will not find a single confession. You will not find a, even a, a petition. There are no lamentations. All you find is praise, praise, shouts of joy, and praise. And I love that because it, it really does. It's like God knows, God, of course God knows what he's doing. It's like the whole book of Psalms is leading us. If you keep praying and you keep pushing in and you keep sowing your tears, all prayer eventually leads you to that place where there's nothing to confess. There's nothing to ask. All that is left is to simply to praise the Lord, to have your hearts overflow to, to what the psalmist declares here, to have a harvest full. Your, your sheaves are full. And what are they full with? It's, it's full of joy, overflowing, abounding in joy. God says, I will do my part. You have to do your part. I will, I will come in like a flood. I will make sure there's a harvest of joy. But listen, you and me, we have to do our part. We must sow. We must pray. God says, I will add the blessing in due time. I will give you a harvest. I am true. I will always be true. May we count on that. May we respond accordingly. Church, tonight, let's not be afraid of the tears. Let's not be afraid of the feels. Tears are the language that God understands. The cross was not the final word. The empty tomb was the final word. He has risen as he said. The tears sown in Gethsemane are producing the greatest harvest of joy. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.